0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about the de-churching of America.
1: 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's a lot. That's what we're talking about. When you say the de-churching of America, That's what we're talking about. There is a new book that has just come out, uh, tracing that data. And the article that we're basing this podcast on is an article by Jake meter that appeared in the Atlantic recently, where he, he basically is summarizing this book's argument and then uh, reflecting on it a little bit. It's a widely shared and widely read article on the Atlantic. Um, and I think it, it names some things that most people listening to this podcast will go, Oh, Make some sense of my experience. Dusty, you want to read the first the two or three sentences of this article to get us going?
2: Yeah. Jake's going to start with his own life in Lincoln, Nebraska. Nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska is no longer Christian. That's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. As a Christian, I feel this shift acutely. My wife and I wonder whether the institutions and communities that have helped preserve us in our own faith will still exist for our four children, let alone whatever grandkids we might one day have.
1: All right, so 12% of the population has stopped attending church in the last 25 years the largest concentrated change in American history. Here's uh, I, the, the, one of the writers of this book, The Great Dechurching, Mike Graham, is a friend of mine. And Mike recently sort of surveyed for a few of us the, the sort of trends that he outlines in the book. And uh, here's what the data shows. From about 1930 till the year 2000, 70% of Americans attended church. Now attended meant whatever it meant, you know, you and I both know, Dusty, they weren't showing
2: up every week, but but they had a church. They, yeah, they would say, yeah,
1: to. I'm a part of this church. Or, you know, if, if I'm going on Christmas or Easter, it's to X, Y, Z church, 70% of America. And that was consistent across a world war, across Vietnam, across the sexual revolution, across the eighties and nineties. I mean, everything that happened from 1930 to 2000, that number remained consistent since the year 2000. So in the last 23 years, that's declined from 70% of the population to right now it's around 49%. So in 23 years, a 20 percentage point drop in the number of people who attend church. And as these guys crunched the data, Jim Davis and Mike Graham worked with two sociologists, Ryan Burge and another guy, and they, they basically took all of this, uh, survey data and sort of analyzed it and did the, did what sociologists do with data. And what they said is basically 40 million people have just kind of like opted out of going to church. And, and what this article expresses is you you probably have
2: what you think there's a reason for that. Well, opted out in the sense that like, it's not that they're super strongly opposed. Right. Right. That's the thing. This is that's, so
1: if you, if you're only on Christian Twitter or you only pay attention to like you know, doom and gloom kind of scenarios about the church. You probably think like everybody pieced out because of all the abuse in the church or bad leaders or podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill and just every, you know, every church is imploding and it's all chaos and people are bailing out all over the place. Actually, what the data shows is, I'm going to read this line from Jake Meter's article. Um, the great de-churching finds... That religious abuse and more general moral corruption in churches have driven people away, but a much larger share of those who have left church have done so for more banal reasons. The book suggests that the defining problem driving out most people who leave is just how American life works in the 21st century. (laughs) Just how the cookie crumbles. Uh contemporary america simply isn't set up to promote mutuality care or common life um he goes on to say a few more things about that but i want to give you i think what's most helpful is they um they they build these composite characters in the book that i think like as they describe them you're like oh yeah that person like lives on my street when i say they build a composite character i mean they're not saying like Here's Bethany, who we talked to in the survey. They're saying, let's imagine a 30-something woman who's married and has a job. Like, you know, their profile, they're saying, here's the data of the kind of a person who exists out there, who is an example of this de-churching. So let me read you a couple of those. Who like works from home and... Yeah, here's what they say. Imagine a 30-something woman who grew up in a suburban megachurch, was heavily invested in campus ministry while in college. Then after graduating, moved into a full-time job and began attending a young adults group in the local church. In her 20s, she meets a guy who's less religiously engaged, they get married, and at some point after their first or second child is born, they stopped going to church. Maybe the baby isn't sleeping well, and when Sunday morning comes around, it's just easier to stay home and catch whatever sleep is available. Preach. After a few weeks, the thought of going to church on a Sunday carries a certain mental burden with it. You might want to go, but you also dread the inevitable questions about where you've been. I was just too tired to come. <laughs> <It> doesn't <laughs> sound like a convincing excuse. Soon it actually sounds like it'd be harder to attend than to skip. Even if some part of you wants to still go. So what they're saying is like, it's not that people are like bailing on the church in a fit of anger and rage. It's just that like life kind of pulls us in a direction that just inclines us away from being present and being part of things.
2: Pastorly, that's always a refreshing conversation. <laughs> Where Vincent. you been lately? There's been some people where you're like, oh, hey, man, where you been? And he's like, "Ah, I've just been really lazy.
0: I'm just tired. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I just quit coming for a while. You're like, oh, great. Thanks for not making stuff up. Let me me read you
1: another uh, composite case. A person might be entering mid-career, working a high-stress job, requiring a 60- or 70-hour work week. Add to that 15 hours of commute time. And suddenly, two-thirds of their waking hours in the week are already accounted for. And so when a friend invites them to Sunday morning brunch, they probably want to go to church, but they also want to see that friend because they haven't been able to see them for months. The friend wins out. You know, people are, people are busy. Yeah. Work is intense. Brunch is good. Brunch is good. (laughs) And Sunday morning is kind of nice to just sleep in and eat with your friend. They're saying these are the kinds of things that have led 40 million Americans over the last 25 years to just sort of opt out of church what's fascinating is mike graham shared with me this is in the article but mike graham shared with me most of these people would come to church if someone just invited them yeah like when they asked like what would make you go back to church the answer was literally like i guess somebody just invited me yeah it wasn't like somebody overcoming all my objections to the christian faith or you we have these ideal scenarios in our minds of like oh people probably have all these objections and i'd have to be able to answer all their questions actually just inviting
2: I'm them. I'm just out of the habit of going. Just inviting them would be it. Um, I think it's interesting. That's what, very disarming. Yeah, it that is. That just means you go up to your neighbor and be like, hey, you want to come to church? And they'd probably be like, oh, let me think about it. Well, I, that's what I want our listeners to hear is like,
1: actually, you're probably surrounded by a bunch of people that are less hostile and de-churched than you think. And that might just need a little nudge to say, yeah, I'm not opposed to going to church. I'll go with you. And we see that all the time around here. I mean, people people just like oh, I just invite this. Pro-. Like I I met people on a Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "How'd you get here?" They're like, oh, "I was at CrossFit with this person, and they just invited me to come." There I'm you like, go. Cool. That's that's how people get to church. Um, now what Jake Meter does, in addition to sort of tracing the the data in the book, is he observes what what might the antidote to this be. So not just how do we get more people going back to church, but how do we stem the tide of this de-churching? How do we keep this trend from accelerating? Here's Jake Meter's answer. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love, sharing what they have from each according to their ability and to each according to their need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, and living lives of quiet virtue and prayer? A healthy church can be a safety net in the harsh American economy by offering its members material assistance in times of need, meals after a baby is born, money for rent after a layoff. This kind of vibrant life-giving church requires more, not less, time and energy from its members. It asks people to prioritize one another over our career, to prioritize prayer and time-reading scripture over accomplishment and so what he's suggesting is it's actually a higher commitment not lower commitment that will stop this from happening because we actually need a deeper thicker kind of community and the church needs to be um like an economic social relational safety net and dense community for people and that, when that exists it's it's much more of a life-giving place but the more we try to become like lowest common denominator, how can we ask for the least possible yeah, yeah. from you we're actually working toward this de
2: Which we tend to think about a lot. I think a lot of churches are always thinking about how can we do this and not, you know, kill people in their commitments. Yeah. And how can we make the service as short as possible yeah. and the commitment as low as possible? And what he's saying is like, actually ask people to prioritize church in such a way they build the rest of their life around it. And it's interesting that he highlights career and accomplishment. And
1: Jake also is a good social critic. I want to read these two lines. He says, the problem is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. So he's saying that there's a broader social problem. It's not like society's great. People just aren't going to church. He's like, actually, we don't know how to, we're yeah. lonely. We're anxious. We don't know how to be in community with other people. Yeah. That's the problem. So, of course, that affects every kind of community, including the church.
0: I feel like that's also where you see people trying to, like, uh, address that problem through therapy. Mm. And, like, I just see so many people that I'm like, man, if you just got into a community, I think that would help a lot of the problems of loneliness that you're talking about or whatever.
1: Yeah. It's good. I, w- I want to read a line. I put this line on Twitter because I was like, man, this is really good. We're he, basically forgetting how to be with people. Yeah. He writes American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, yeah. <laughs> an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice or offer positive emotional experiences too often the church has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. And so you see that the catch 22 there of the more we try to be consumeristic and, you know, attract people based on low commitment and just vague spirituality, the more we're catering right into their loneliness and their isolation. And and Mm -hmm. the things actually are, are harming them and pulling them further away from the kind of real meaningful community that can actually provide an
2: anchor in life. Call me into something, Bob. Don't be entertaining me. Well, call me into something. I Here's here's why I wanted to tackle
1: this article, because I think most of our listeners to this podcast are thoughtful Christians who are part of churches that really want to be a solution to this problem. They, they want to see the kind of community that Jake is talking about, a kind of community that cares for one another, that's present for one another, that meets needs, that serves the community around them. And for those of us who long to be part of churches like that, you need to realize that actually it's going to feel like you're moving in the opposite direction. You're not moving toward people's lack of commitment and flakiness. You're actually moving in the opposite direction and asking more of people, asking for a deeper kind of commitment and community and inviting them into a kind of fellowship that is going to have sacrifice required, that is going to ask something of people in terms of their time and energy. And that what we have to believe is, and that's actually the that's actually good, yeah. that actually helps them flourish. Even though people sometimes relate to it as man, it's a sacrifice. seems like I'm seems like uh, that night's not free for me or I'm tired or work is hard right
2: now or family's busy right now. And, and that helps me become the kind of person I want to be a radically different sort of person. He says belonging to a radically different sort of community. Yeah. And in here, he's not doing it explicitly, but it seems like he's also critiquing appropriately church in the nineties yeah, a little bit, (laughs) you know, and still now churches that are
1: kind of, yeah, wimpy, wimpy and uh consumery. I I think Jake is a wise writer and he framed this piece. Well for the Atlantic, you know, he's, he's not like sharing the gospel and talking about how you need to trust in Jesus. But what he's giving a vision of is what if there was a kind of community that actually met the needs of the poor and that actually provided a, a, a home base for people in times of loneliness and isolation. And part of the reason I think this article is so widely shared on the Atlantic is because people read this and go, yeah, that seems like the kind of thing that churches should be about. Like, I think I think when you read how Jake describes what the church should be in this article, even though it mentions very little about the preaching of the gospel and sort of the, the, the theology of the church, when you read this and you think about, man, if the church was that, yeah, I'd go. That'd be beautiful. I'd yeah. want to be a part of that. And so I'm, I'm impressed with how Jake, I think, is trying to answer the longing that's present in society by saying, you know what, you don't want a church that's just like a place to go for 60 minutes. You want to be a part of a community that's really meaningful. And that's, I think, why a lot of people are de-churching is because the church has not been that in the way that they wish and hope for.
0: How can churches who kind of like you said might go more the way of like consumerism how could they start to like change course and and go back to this way I'm thinking a lot of like especially bigger churches because those larger churches are you know easy for people to go and not really be known by anyone like how could maybe larger churches like that start to change course and adopt maybe some of these ideas that that Jake's talking about?
1: That's a great question. I don't know if I have a ton of answers, but I think the first, the first thing is to ask, what are we asking of people Mm -hmm. to be a disciple of Jesus or to be part of the church in a meaningful way? What are we, what are we asking of people? If, if, if the call we're making is show up for 60 minutes on a Sunday, I just don't think that's a winning call. Because, and then what this book shows is like less and less people are going to be compelled by that because Mm -hmm. they have good reasons why their kid's playing soccer on Sunday or they need to have brunch with a friend. It's just, you know, if I, if 60 minutes is what you're asking of me, I'm not convinced that's a meaningful ask. What I think needs the first thing churches need to do is to ask what kind of community are we building and inviting people into that is, that is giving them something and offering them something that the world just can't offer them. I mean, for us, that's why we are committed to gospel communities because we feel like, man, we want to provide the kind of like context for friendship, for encouragement, for scripture and prayer, and just for like life on life connectedness that actually provides meaningful things for people. So one of my favorite things about our church, Bethany, is that like every time somebody has a baby, there's like a meal train that's 20 people deep because somebody in the gospel community is like, Hey let's come around this person and serve them. And I think simple things like that like that doesn't happen to my neighbor who's not part of a church. Like they mm-hmm. they just don't have that same kind of support. So I mm-hmm. think there's there's moments like that or when someone is in the hospital or has a family emergency, there's just an immediate network of people around them. I think churches have to build that kind of community. And I think there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But we have to we have to start with asking, you know, what are we what kind of community are we inviting people into? And is it thick enough and dense enough and, and compelling enough that they would go, well, you know, I can't get that at the, at the, you know, the pure bar place down the street or the, you know, the, <laughs> the gym, like I, yeah. the guys at the gym aren't going to bring me meals when my mom
2: dies. You know, it's just like, that's, yeah, that's the kind of community that, that Jesus talks about. You've talked about our church being a relational container and everything you just said had relate. you were assuming relationship yeah. in there. And Bethany, my answer to your question is, I think this is a a drastic answer, but I think a lot of churches would need to replant with a relational DNA. Hmm. I think a lot of churches, maybe not replant the whole thing, but I'm saying you have to reframe community as not being optional. And that has never been the case here. And it is the case in a lot of churches where community is like for the extra spiritual people in your church. and. That can't be the case. I think in a post-Christian culture, which we talk about often, it's going to have to get inverted a lot where community and relationship is primary. And we also gather on Sunday, you know. Hmm.
1: Let me read a paragraph from Meter's article, the second to last paragraph. He writes in the Gospels, Jesus tells his first disciples to leave their old way of life behind, going so far as abandoning their plow or fishing nets where they are and if necessary, even leaving behind their parents. A church that doesn't expect at least this much from one another isn't really a church the way Jesus spoke about it. If Graham and Davis are right, it is also likely a church that won't survive the challenges facing us today. I think that's compelling. Yeah, He's basically saying, look, you know, Jesus said, you know, leave it all and come follow me. And if that's not the call the church makes to people, uh, you know, we're not going to stem the tide of de-churching. And maybe another way to talk about this, you guys, is just to say, I do think this is related to post-Christianity. I, people ask me, I had a guy in our church email me and say, what do you mean? Why do you, what do you mean when you say post-Christian? Cause I think I use that language and people are like, I don't know what that means. But one way of thinking about it is to say, a lot of churches are still operating like chaplains to the culture where it's like, hey, this is the place where you come to get married and get buried and, you know, to have somebody pray with you in a time of need, and it's just, you know, these are things people naturally want. The church will just be the vendor of those things. That's a sort of like 1950s way of thinking about where the culture is. Maybe there was a time where the culture was pretty religious and and the church was sort of seen as a place where I need somebody to marry me, I need somebody to bury me, I need somebody to confess my sins to, I need somebody to talk to about my losing my job or whatever to your point, Bethany zero people in the modern world look to the church for those things. They go to their therapist, they, they, they text some friends. They're they're not, you know, if they lose their job, they're not going to talk to a pastor. They're calling a therapist or they're calling a good friend and going out for a drink and talking about it. And so to think of, to, to have a church that's structured as though it's a chaplain to a culture that's sort of generally religious is different than seeing the church as a countercultural community, a distinct kingdom community living the way of Jesus in the midst of a broader culture that's not living that way, but that does have inclinations and longings that that speaks to. And that's just a um. It is a paradigm shift. Yeah, it's a it's a whole different way of thinking about what does it mean to be the church. And I I get frustrated when I go on websites of like new church plants and I'm like, you know, how are you like, I just, I do this. I, in my spare time, I go on, I look, look up new church plants. I'm like, what are these people like? What are they, what are they trying to be? You know? And when I'm just, you know, when their website language is like, you know, come for a really meaningful, you know, worship experience and I'm just like, Yeah, that's not the, (laughs) that's not the pitch. That's not the thing that, that my neighbors are looking for. They're not asking, where could I go for a meaningful worship experience? They're asking, why would I go? Why would I go? (laughs) Or they might be asking, I'm really intrigued by the friends, Alan and Bethany seem to have. Where can I find some friends like that? Where can I find a dense network of people who seem to like come around me and, and really like enjoy one another. So I think that's where that community piece, that, the depth of real friendship is a compelling factor, but only when people can see it and sort of go, Hmm, that's interesting.
0: Is it possible to swing the pendulum too far one Mm. way? Yeah. And like, to the point where people feel like I have to live at church. (laughs) Yeah. Because I kind of, I mean, that's like, that was my childhood. Mm. Like I felt like I lived at church. My parents were so involved and I'm thankful for it now, but.
2: Well, that was interesting too, because it was like, you're a bad Christian if you're not. Right? Right. There's
0: yeah. There's like a
2: performative ethos. I think it's an interesting question you're
1: asking, Bethany, of because I certainly, the at church part is the part that I would take issue yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want, right. I'm not saying be at church, but I think what I'm saying is be a part of a community. Mm-hmm that has that life on life stickiness to it. People are always going to ebb and flow in terms of their, you know, I mean, if the kids are all sick, you're not showing up, you know, right. that's just the reality. Sure. Um, and there's, you know, there's ebbs and flows to our lives, but I <laughs> will Walker used to say, cause he's in Austin and everybody in Austin's like young and single and hip and doing too many cool things to come to church, you know, <laughs> And so he just used to say, look, I'm asking you to build your life around the church. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like build your life around the church. That's the one thing that's going to last. And so I am saying like, orient your life, your schedule, your calendar around the church, because he, his point is you're going to orient it around something. Mm-hmm. And most people orient it around my comfort or, you know, what I think I kind of want to give myself to instead of saying, no, this, and, and I think what Jake Meter's article is pointing out is to say, if if people treat the church as, well, this is an optional thing that maybe I'll go to, or maybe I won't, depending on if I have the time. Yeah. That never is going to be radically reorienting right. or compelling. But if people see the church as like, this is a community of people that for better, for worse, because I belong to Jesus, I'm orienting my life around this, That, that says something and shows something to the world. And it still leaves room for like, you know what, kids are sick this week, can't be there. But what it is, what it means is, but I'm probably reaching out and connecting with some people so that they know instead of just like disappearing for a few right. weeks and then being two months deep in the inertia and like, well, it's hard to go back now because Bethany's going to ask
2: me where we've been for the last two months, you know. And that's what meter is saying is that's what Jesus did. Yeah. If, if you got to drop your net and come, well, I guess I'll come and see what this is like yep. and then it impacts my life so much that I begin to change in such a way that I don't want to not be here. Right. That's a different thing. I, the thing I'm thinking about here in light of meters article is just how the church is always way late to the party. <laughs> and I'm thinking about the stats particularly thinking we've probably been in this post-Christian reality since 2014, 2016, according to Aaron Wren at least. And so we're late, you know, to this whole thing. And what would it look like for us to have started early? So rather than lamenting what we could have done, what do we do now? And so we do need to stop treating the church or the people of God as an add-on and start committing wholeheartedly to it.
1: And I think if you're a listener, uh, I want you to sort of weigh that invitation of what would it mean to orient your life around the people of God not the church in terms of like, when are, when is the building open for an official event? But what does it mean to orient my life around God and his people in a way that means like, these are the people I'm committed to. This is the, the entity around which I'm kind of structuring my existence. And so that, you know, as I, as I ebb and flow through life, I'm doing it with this people. And that really does, I think have a, I think what happens this is what i and just maybe this is just my experience, but I think as as people get older and as life gives them more complexity, that's why people get lonelier and lonelier the older they get because yeah. like oh my college friends are all doing their own things, and their life took them in a different direction, and the people that my kids were friends with when they were little moved to a different city. you know it's just like the 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 other things you build your life around don't have the staying power that the local church does. And if people build their lives around a spiritual community, around the people of God, what happens is that can actually sustain them all the way through life. Mm. So you could envision like being 60 or 70 or 80 years old and still being meaningfully connected yeah. to a body of people. Now the people will have changed a little bit because people move and come and go. But that thing that you've given your life to is still going to be there. Whereas, you know, most of the other stuff <laughs> you orient in your life around just isn't going to last for 80 yeah. years.
2: It just can't. There's a 90, 90, plus year old woman who listens to our sermons at a, at the assisted living place that she's at. Her husband was a pastor. He has since died. And I did his funeral and she messaged me after I preached a couple of weeks ago uh, on my Psalm 51 sermon. And I thought, I wonder how, and she was like, you know, thanking me and, for preaching and stuff. And I thought, my first thought was, I can't imagine how many Psalm 51 sermons this woman has heard, you know, but that is, she's doing what you're describing, even though she's at an assisted living place and can't come to church all the time. She comes like once a month when her daughter brings her, she's still tethering herself to us who she barely knows really, but she's committed to these kinds of relationships, even though she can't always be there in person. Yeah. The people of God. And it has sustained her. Here's the invitation Jake Meter makes at the end
1: of his article. And if you're a church leader, I want you to hear this. The great de churching could be the beginning of a new moment for churches. So, what if we thought about this as a new beginning? What if we thought about this as like this is an, a chance to begin again? Let's do it. He goes on to write a moment marked less by aspiration to respectability and success with less focus on individuals aligning themselves with American values and assumptions. We could be a witness to another way of life outside conventionally American measures of success. Churches could model better, truer sorts of communities, ones in which the hungry are fed, the weak are lifted up, and the proud are cast down. Such communities might not have the money, success, and influence that many American churches have so often pursued in recent years. But if such communities look less like those churches, they might also look more like the sorts of communities Jesus expected his followers to create.
0: The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.